BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, a look into a crisis in pet care, America's great veterinarian shortage. Doesn't it seem like so much has changed just the past couple of years? We can no longer count on for sure getting a specific product at the grocery store or a retail store if we need it because it might not be there. Service is bad at places. There are restaurants and businesses that have closed. There are others who can't find good workers, so they've limited their hours. They may have problems getting products, so the menu is restricted. On another level, it's hard to get in to see the doctor. You have to wait for appointments, sometimes a really long time. Sometimes you even have to wait for what used to constitute emergency surgery, all while costs keep going up and up and up. And it's gotten harder in many places to get care for our pets. Maybe you've noticed. Maybe something isn't right with your pet, but you found that it's difficult to get an appointment on a timely basis. Or heaven forbid there's an emergency, you may find that no clinic near you will take your animal. Maybe none in the next town, and maybe none in the next in the next. Or if they do take you, you might end up waiting for this emergency two hours, four, six, eight, or more, and then need further care from a specialist who's booking months down the road, if at all. This week on Full Measure, Sunday, March 12th, I'm going to take a look at America's great veterinarian shortage. Well, it's not just that we don't have enough veterinarians, but we don't have enough technicians either to support the work. And really, the vets can only do so much on their own, which is why on a recent pet visit to the pet ER, I noticed I was the only one there waiting. But as I waited and waited for about eight hours, I heard them turn everyone who called in advance away. Today on this podcast, you're going to hear from a veterinarian in Clarendon, Virginia named Kayleen Glore. She's going to talk about what she's seen and some of the reasons behind the U.S. crisis in pet care. I founded this clinic and we have another location about two miles away. Um, me and Dr. Natasha Unger, we started Clarendon Animal Care and we are the medical directors. Can you give me just a one paragraph overview of the business, how many doctors work and how many clients you have, animals? We have 14 doctors. We have um, just over 50 employees clients and patients like mostly dogs is it less than it's probably about 60 percent dogs 40 percent cats and do you see you think hundreds of animals? So, so um oh, hundreds of animals yeah. oh we see thousands of animals over time i would i think our our client base is in the several thousand i mean we'd have to to support 14 doctors being able to stay busy um we across both clinics we generally speaking have 
five doctors in appointments and two doctors in procedures and we're generally booked and they see appointments over the course of the day um for i think eight and a half hours generally 30 minute appointments so each doctor is seeing i guess between 15 and 18 patients a day there's a lot we can talk about in your industry but if i focus specifically on the patient side having trouble finding treatment particularly emergency treatment mm-hmm. um what happened during COVID that might be impacting that? Um, what happened during COVID? So in addition to there being more pets being seen, people were at home with their pets and they were paying more attention to their pets. I would say there was a period there where people had more disposable income as well. And generally when there's more disposable income, that is more likely to be spent on the patient or the pets that people have at home. Um, pets were more likely to get into prescription medications because the you know clients are at home with their pets and maybe their meds are getting left out because they're not putting the away because they're not going to work um or they're actually probably getting out and getting more exercise and tearing more cruciate ligaments things like that just having to do with being involved with their pets a little bit or either seeing things or more things happening and then on the the veterinary side of things when COVID hit, a lot of clinics went to what we would call curbside care where clients weren't allowed in the buildings um some clinics would run on shifts. I know when it happened, we actually, we just had the one location and we split into two separate shifts. And so there was no overlap between the staff, which truly means that we could see less things and running curbside appointments takes longer. We were putting off more wellness stuff just to try and sort of maintain what we had, um, which then sort of pushed some wellness stuff down the road a little bit. And then a lot of people just got kind of either scared of going into work or didn't feel comfortable or just flat out burnt out. And a lot of people left the industry. Um, were you aware previously, just industry-wide, mm-hmm. what was going on, going on, were you aware that people were having more trouble getting appointments and particularly emergency appointments for their pets? Over the last two years? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So when we have an emergency come in, oftentimes we're calling there. So in this area, we've got we're lucky. We've got a lot of 24-hour emergency referral hospitals, and I would say it's not uncommon for us to call three to four of them to find out where we can get a patient transferred. Is that new compared to five years? Absolutely. And do you remember, um, if you can take me to when you first started, realize this was an issue, like were you here one night or day, or you had staff telling you they couldn't find a spot normally where they would? It happened pretty quickly. So it, it was in like by like May to June of 2020, it was very apparent that it was hard to get into places. Um, and we ended up trying to like stabilize more things that maybe were a little bit on the periphery of what our comfort zone was or um, phoning friends a lot more often. Um, I, I used to work at one of the local emergency referral hospitals. I have a lot of their staff on my cell phone. And so texting to be like, please, 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 I've got a patient intubated on the table it needs a ventilator how do we make this work um and so trying to like pull some strings that way and i know you're not in primarily emergency care but what do you think is happening from what you know in that industry that would make it where someone needs to go maybe off hours to a 24-hour clinic and they're told don't come here yeah it's it's honestly for them it's probably retaining support staff 
It's um, having credentialed technicians. So in the state of Virginia, there are different licensing requirements as far as what an individual can or cannot do as uh, a, te- a technician. And in Virginia, you need to be a credentialed technician in order to place IV catheters to be able to intubate things like that. And um, if, if you don't have enough of those individuals, then suddenly it makes it harder to get things done in general. Um, I have a lot of friends in the emergency side of things right now, and there are days where the doctors themselves are not terribly busy, but they just don't have a team to be able to see or do more than what they're doing. And um, have you read it? We've read some articles that said this is an issue. You know, obviously we're in Virginia, but this is happening other places too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I would say it's probably maybe a little bit different depending on where you are in the country and what the surrounding socioeconomic status is. Um, in other parts of the country, the the um, sort of rate limiting state might actually be the ability to recruit and retain veterinarians. Um People want to live places that are desirable places to live. And for whatever reason, some areas may or may not be sort of where they want to be. And then there are certain parts of the country where you can find a pocket where you've got veterinary clinics, but there's not an emergency clinic in general for two to four hours drive away from there. And so if you've got like these pockets where there are very few clinics in general and they're servicing a much wider space, um, they're they're slammed pretty hard. This may have always happened. I have no way to know because I didn't ask the question until I noticed this. But we did hear there are some really sad stories of people who tried to get a pet in for emergency care somewhere and lost their pet. Yeah, they couldn't get it seen. Yeah. I mean, in in some of those cases, the question is, is is it because, you know, if it would have been seen right then versus an hour later, would that have made a difference? And, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um there's also the question of is was something happening for a period of time before this like did we wait too long to seek veterinary care um and it's you know as humans as individuals we are we have limited capacity of what we can handle and what we can manage and if you're in a situation where like well if you would have just seen me this would have been okay on the flip side i was seeing 10 other things i can't treat all of this well and, you know, there, there's it's it's not pretty to think about, but you can say I can do a really good job with the things I've got in front of me or I can do a really crappy job with a lot more. And is there going to be a much bigger impact by doing a crappy job and having more patients die because they weren't, you know, handled well? Because, again, we have a finite ability of what we can handle and we have to be able to recognize that. Is there advice you would give? It sounds like. One takeaway I'm getting so far is if you think your pet has a problem, don't wait till it gets to be an emergency. Don't wait. And I would also say make sure that you have a relationship with a general practice ahead of time. So don't wait to like adopt a pet and then seek veterinary care because there's a problem. Because most general practitioners, like I told you, we save same day stuff, but it's for our patients. If we have an existing relationship, we are much more willing and much have a much easier time getting these patients in because we already have records. We already know they're up to date. We've already examined them. We already know what their baseline is. So it's much easier to handle those things quickly than if you've got somebody who's adopted a pet, has had it for six months, has never seen the vet, and now it's coughing to be able to get it in somewhere um, within a reasonable time frame in some areas. And what are your thoughts people should expect, do you think, for the near-term future in this industry? Um... I think it's probably getting better. I think, uh, I mean, so again, we talked about 
support staff being the linchpin for a lot of places. I think the veterinary industry is coming to recognize that there needs to be a better quality of life for all employees that pay needs to make so that people can earn a living wage doing the job that they're doing. Um, They shouldn't need to be required to live at home in order to be here and be my assistant. Um, And so there's been a steady trend in the industry as a whole to try and sort of raise the bar on how we operate clinics and how we treat our people. And I think as that continues to raise, we will see better retention and better ability to um, sort of get things. And now that comes with a cost. It can't can't raise wages for everybody and not also need to affect how we get that income to be able to do that. Um, and, and that's sort of the, the other side of that is having a client base that is able to afford and be able to move forward with treatment as well. And that that's hard for everybody. I, I can't encourage the use of pet insurance, at least in this area, enough. I mean, if something needs to have emergency surgery on the weekend, um, probably looking at seven to $10,000. And um, if you've got some knowledge that I'm going to get reimbursed for part of this because I already had pet insurance for my pet, that makes it a lot easier to swallow and move forward and proceed with care. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Animal care is expensive with or without insurance. And while I don't doubt that it's worth it and necessary in so many instances, I do know from my reporting that there are escalated costs of tests. An independent concierge human doctor explained to me for a story I did on Full Measure how she gets blood work done with the same lab that we get charged up to $800 or $1,000 for, for $15 or $25. MRIs, the cost of those can vary greatly. Another report I did for Full Measure, $1,500 at one place, $150 at another for the exact same thing. The cost of medicine varies greatly. Maybe the veterinarian tucks in some pills. In my instance, I usually go home without being asked with maybe two, three, four, five pills that the dog never takes or can take or liquids. And you can find the same thing at Walmart or another pharmacy for a tenth of the cost. So when I see those high prices at the vet, sometimes I do wonder. Now, on the other side, vets say part of the reason for the shortage is that customers are hard to deal with. Pet owners are complaining about the prices and the long waits. They're hassling the front desk personnel and the technicians sometimes and making it where 
People don't want to do the job, especially for what is sometimes low pay. Not talking about the vet, but the assistants. I guess you could call it a vicious cycle in a way. Things may appear to cost too much. People are stressed because they're having to wait so long. They complain to the vets about it, stresses out the vets and the technicians. Few of them want to be in the business. And it becomes just one more thing that's off balance in society today when it comes to supply versus demand. The best advice, I guess, at this point is to get your animal established with a vet so that when and if you need to see one quickly, maybe you have a greater chance of getting help on a timely basis. I've been in a new place where I've had to start from scratch with an adopted special needs dog, and boy, I can tell you, that is an uphill battle. Watch my program for the full report on Sunday, March 12th. That's full measure. If you're listening to this afterwards or you miss it when it's on TV, no problem. You can go to fullmeasure.news and watch a replay anytime. We post the replays around noon on Sunday, noon Eastern time, after these stories air on TV. We have other stories Sunday that are interesting, such as, did you know that social media is about 20 years old? I think the first big social media company was MySpace that fairly quickly got eclipsed by Facebook. But over 20 years, what changes we've seen from a fairly freewheeling experimental thing that social media was to now a very controlled and often controversial platform that we use most of us every day in some way. We're going to be looking at the toll that this can take upon the young who tend to turn to social media most of all. And sometimes maybe there are good things in there for them and it helps them. But often, even by the account of these social media companies themselves, when they've done internal polling and checks, this is detrimental to young people and their psyche and their way of life. I remember I saw in the last year or two a poll done of teachers And I believe it said that nearly 100% of teachers thought that social media overall was a net negative for their students, as well as the internet in general, because of what the students were accessing. And yet it's been integrated into our daily life, including our education, our work life, and pretty much everything else. The story on Sunday's Full Measure takes a look at the temptation to regulate it and how one would do that or what the proposals are that are out there. Congress, as you may know, has dragged in the CEOs of these social media companies when these companies have done things that are improper, perhaps leading to privacy invasions or maybe censorship and control. And yet with all the hearings, pretty much nothing has come of it. And maybe you think nothing should come of it. Maybe you think that's not the government's business. But absent national regulations... States are moving individually in some cases to try to restrict what they see as the harm on young people who are using social media. So that's our story Sunday, another story. Scott Thurman is going to have a story that looks at U.S. military training given to entities around the world that helps foreign countries, such as in Ukraine. We don't have troops supposedly there fighting firsthand on behalf of Ukraine, but the U.S. military might is felt in other ways all the same. We'll explain that. And then on the slightly lighter side, you will see a member of Congress who designed a special fashion statement. He's Congressman Thomas Massey, a Republican of Kentucky. He wears something to work every day now that gets a lot of attention. 
You'll find out why. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if so, you will leave a great review, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. And to find out how to watch Full Measure and a station near you, just go to CherylAckeson.com. Click the Full Measure tab, and you will see a current list of stations and times. Full Measure is broadcast to 43 million U.S. households on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, and Telemundo stations, as well as CW across the country. But if you don't have a station near you, don't worry. There are other ways to watch listed at CherylAckeson.com on the Full Measure page, including our free app, STIRR, S-T-I-R-R, which has a lot of other free, cool programming on it and live or on replays at fullmeasure.news, our website. And now you can support independent journalism causes that's never been more important by visiting CherylAxon.com and clicking the store tab with some thought-provoking and fun products they are designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes like the Ion Awards, where I'm giving cash to encourage both students and professionals to report in these independent ways that let you make up your own mind, that bring to light underreported issues in a way that's not censored, something we just are so desperately in need of today. And it's too often not rewarded in my profession, so I'm trying to have an impact on that. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. 